Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. My name is Colin, and tonight I am joined for part two of our discussion on Azula by first Casey. Hello, everyone. And Susan. I'm still mulling it over. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, so we kind of left off our last discussion. We were talking about uh, Zuko alone um, and just kind of talked about Azula up until that point. So be sure to uh, listen to that first part as we'll be continuing that discussion. Um, but to uh, jump things off for this episode, I want to get into uh, an episode that really shows uh, Azula's just persistence and how truly terrifying she is as a villain. I know we've seen already some moments before, but like to me, there's nothing scarier than and more like stress inducing, I think, in this entire series than the episode of The Chase. Because it is just Ang and the gang on the run, unable to get like any sleep, and Azula May and Tylee just constantly chasing them with that tank. It is so horrifying. <laughs> it's like being a parent, right? And the kids are never sleeping and all you want to do is sleep and then they wake up and you have to get back up again and keep moving. Yeah, just so we're clear on that. That's like literally every parent to a newborn's like entire life for the first nine to 12 months is literally, they just, they get them down to sleep and all of a sudden they're awake again and you're like, son of a... <laughs> and you, you feel like off on near the end where you just want to fall down and just be like, screw all y'all. <laughs> well, and is there, does there's, there's got to come that breaking point where, you know, you would call your husband, uh, oh, really, Sugar Queen? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> we may or may not have said a few things like that before. <laughs> when we kicked the other one to get out of bed because it's their turn. <laughs> um, Gosh. The shadiness between Katara and Toph in that episode is just so amazing because, oh my god, that, that line Katara has where she says, wow, the stars sure do look beautiful tonight. Too bad you can't see them, Toph. <laughs> it's, like, it's so brutal. <laughs> That's like the best. Oh, too uh, bad you can't see them. But, you know, it that that's what, that is a product of Azula because Azula, again, knowing how to defeat an enemy and knowing that like the more you tire people out the more that there's a like there's a greater chance that there's going to be people just getting frayed at the edges because they're pushing so hard and understanding that she has this tank with like basically an unlimited resource i would imagine with like the fire bending powering it and she can just keep pursuing relentlessly and the gang can fly as much as they want, but like they still have to rest, and she knows that. And just exploiting that in such a way is like such a telltale part of who she is. Yeah, relentless and and just completely just she understands that just just to to a frightening degree. Like she'll do whatever it takes. She knows what it takes, she, and she, by the way, doesn't tire really, which is freaky. Yeah, she's just like on. Yep. <laughs> I feel like she doesn't sleep. She meditates. <laughs> yeah, she goes into it like a, a, a zone. Um, excuse me. Sleep is for the weak, and only the weak would sleep. I'm just saying, Azula is stronger than that. She has mastered not sleeping to the point where she is so advanced in it. 
she's considered a prodigy. <laughs> yes. Uh, we all know that's true. We know okay. that she would probably be like, I'll all right. I'll add it to Wikipedia later. <laughs> She'd probably true. just be like, all right, body, we need to sleep for this many hours so that we can be more efficient when we go on and start the chase again. <laughs> Um, she's body. She's got We're the only going to rest for three up. hours and three hours efficiently. Yeah. Body. So you shut down now and you wake up in three. As I say, body. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But of course, you know, the, the pursuit continues. We see just her in action with May and Ty Lee. Um, but then the, that episode uh, reach, reaches this climax when they get into this abandoned village uh, in the Earth Kingdom. And. She's fighting Zuko, she's fighting Aang, and, like, just trying to... I mean, she's working both of them. She has, like, a, like Zuko steps in to go, like, chase her and, like, falls through the floor. And, like, it's just so much of that manipulation and playing with her opponents. But, however, she does start to exhibit more, ag- more of an aggressive style. And this was a point that Daniel uh, wrote in the outline that he wanted us to bring up. Because... As we had kind of seen her before, it's very calculated and patient. But now, with the tables kind of turned against her, she is now doing this on her own. And she is outnumbered. And, you know, she has to kind of change up her style and and adapt to be able to survive in this situation. Um, So, I don't know. Just what were some of your guys' thoughts about that scene uh, where she's surrounded and, like, kind of what she does there? she doesn't need it's like she doesn't need anybody else it's so weird it's like she she kind of just like the fact that she can take all these people at once again further we're already we're already intimidated by her we already went through this whole this episode of just like how how relentless she is and then to get to this point and she's able to actually like not only willing to take all of it on but she takes it all on is is just again she becomes more uh, the much more like that how even as to the audience watching it just sort of like, oh my God, she's even a more impressive and frightening opponent than we could have imagined. She is like she doesn't have any weaknesses yet. She's the anti Zhao. The yeah. got so used to seeing Zhao, Zhao be better one on one and basically flounder away being a villain. And she's like the anti Zhao. She is cool, calm, collected, able to fight multiple opponents at once and look amazing with only one hair falling out of place. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying here. I mean, like, yeah, like she is. It's, it's when it's in that moment you realize the show has changed from yeah. being this simplistic, you know, show about the story about a boy becoming the Avatar to. Oh damn, they're gonna introduce some scary stuff. Well, yeah. Wow. I mean, a lot of it, too, is like, you know, so much of the show isn't just about Aang's journey to become the Avatar. It's about Zuko and his journey to restore his honor and become the Fire Lord. And, you know, Azula is so closely intertwined with that. Yes, she is trying to find and, you know, capture and defeat the Avatar. But, I mean, her end goal, too, is like it it is this control and power and beating Zuko as well. And I don't know. It just, it's definitely, we really kind of see that all come to this head here in the chase. And when they're, when she's surrounded, you know, it's, it comes to the point where she recognizes that Iroh is kind of the most dangerous opponent. 
in this group because he redirected her lightning in the first episode that we saw her in. Um, and by taking that out, she also knows that Zuko cares for him. So it's this kind of two pronged, like attack. She's deciding like, okay, who can I attack? What's going to be the most effective way of doing this And knowing that she will take Zuko out of the equation and Iroh out of the equation and kind of the shock that's going to happen through that, the others will be distracted. And that's how she is able to kind of get away. So, you know, and what's great is that, you know, now it, the the story shifts and as the gang gets closer to bossing, say, we also see that, you know, Azula on top of finding and capturing Zuko and trying to find and defeat the avatar. Now she's adding another goal and that is bossing say, and it's recognizing how all of these are kind of intertwined and just n- noticing that she can bunch these together to achieve multiple goals at once. And it's like, she's 14 and she has this like incredible mental capacity to be able to compartmentalize these goals into ways that it's frankly, I still sometimes struggle with as an adult. I mean, like it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, th- Let's talk about this. <laughs> this is a different world. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's just, wow. But this, is, this is, but this is also part of her undoing too. Mm. Yeah. Colin, this is like when she starts losing it because she's leaving. How should it if It's, she's getting hungry for recognition, for power, for what she desires. And she's in the world alone, really. And she is given ample resources that she lets it go more or less to her head. Mm. And she begins to have these grandiose ideas about essentially taking over bossing, say, and doing this and doing that and doing this, that, you know, she doesn't take baby steps, man. She just, she's like, I'm going to go for it because I'm Azula and I'm amazing and I'm so full of it. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, like, this is what becomes her undoing, is bossing, say. Like, people, I think this is when it really becomes clear is that she starts to be in stressing. She starts to becoming unraveled. She's trying to be her dad's favorite. Like, hey, it's so much. Mm. It just, you know, this is, this is like her turning point moment. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is like she, we don't And that's, what's crazy is that we don't necessarily see that in her. We can recognize that as seeing the story as a whole and understanding that this is kind of that turning point and everything. But what made her such a terrifying villain was that again, she always was so calm and composed and always had a way of just shrugging off like the hits or the defeats or anything, because she, she always was moving so many pieces on the board. And, you know, again, it, it, so much of her life, she's just been in the Fire Nation. She's been training. She's been preparing for this her whole life. And so much of her view of the world is rooted in a lot of these, like, delusions of grandeur. And it's this sense of herself, like, her importance to the world, her role in the world, and how she sees the world responding to her. And I think that that's a great point that this is like the first thread that's being pulled because she is like she has to do all of these different things at once. And when your attention is spread out like that, not everything is going to be able to be done perfectly. And with and with her desire for perfection, 
it's going to like it's going to get to her because she can't do each phase of this perfectly. Self-inflicted harm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, like it's it's not seeing the forest through the trees here in this case because essentially she's literally and figuratively, um, because you know, not one of the best things I ever learned from a teacher, and it's not in college, not anything else, but it was actually in martial arts, was understanding your own flaws, accepting them, and understanding that those are part of you, and understanding them helps you to find ways to be able to act, to be able to do things that you never think are possible because of your flaws. And one thing she lacked, she may be a prodigy and everything else, and this is something that they keep like reminding like and you see it more in Zuko than you do her because you think oh she's calm cool collected but and Zuko's is pretty apparent it's his anger is what you know Iris says you have to get it in check or else you're never going to grow you're never going to expand your talent and part of that is because she doesn't accept or understand her flaw and she's unwilling to accept that flaw like that's what becomes her undoing and that's like she's never you know and you see it more and more and more and more to the point where even her masters Lee and Lo are like peace out so I mean like um, you know for all the it's the major character flaw that you know while everyone thinks this part of her is amazing it's this perfection this precision this everything else it is also her biggest character flaw in the entire series is that need for precision, need for accuracy, need for perfection. Yeah. Mm, definitely. And it's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, I mean, she burned out a guy's house for her need for something. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Chang's house. We're just never going to let him move that. <laughs> you know, his dad came home and grounded him so hard. Yes. So hard. Yes. Um, so, you know, Azula first, her first approach to bossing say is through the drill. Um, and it's this idea of kind of meeting that problem head on and using technology, something that has propelled the fire nation ahead of all of the other nations during this hundred year war. And is what has given them this advantage at every step of the way. Um, and it's this idea of, you know, she is kind of in this position where she is in kind of like the bridge of the drill and kind of making these calls into how to progress and move things forward. And then as soon as things start going wrong and the gang is trying to disassemble the drill, it's like, all right, now we need to move. We need to act and we need to be able to try and do this. And suddenly the goal of bossing say getting there intertwines with the avatar because now the avatar is here and again she's given this opportunity where she can knock out two birds with one stone and this fight that she has with ang for the most part ang is like he is just hanging in there because she is you know just throwing these fire blasts at him and he's in a pretty rough spot if it really isn't like wasn't for a lot of the like exterior elements and everything that was happening and then just him having that creativity and insight to use like you know have that moment to put like kind of the the rock spear into that like pressure into the break point and knock her back that way 
it's it's through that like you know technology and everything that she kind of has that that loss and that downfall because you know the avatar she she underestimated what he could do to this i think that there was this idea of like the this drill is going to work the earthbenders can't do anything about it what are we going to be able to do but ang and the gang find a way to stop it and it's just such a great check to her power and also again it's those threads coming out because suddenly something that she thought she had in control she could break through the wall of bossing say she could capture the avatar both of those goals just failed yeah and it's it's questioning her uh, in may i'm sure in a way she feels like it's questioning her intelligence mm. because she's got this perfectionist complex so she's got so the drill sort of represents the, the power that she has and then, like, you have these these kids that are just being rather creative on how to bring it down because they have no other not, not because they have no other choice at this point. They don't have a, another weapon to, to really combat except with their brains, which is you know it's sort of like. And she's such a smart character. It's like that's got to be somewhat daunting to her that she thinks that they they can actually outsmart her, despite all this power and brains and intellect that she actually has that they're able to out sort of outfox the fox and do that to her and that's got yeah that's like a reality check right there it's like she she's not like oh ho-hum this will just be easy at that point like oh man this is this is you know and and that's interesting because it's i almost forgot about that episode because you think about it like the drill is a literal obvious physical weapon that they're using to get through and then not to jump ahead into the next part of the discussion but breaking into really breaking through bossing say is is manipulation and, and control from the inside rather than the outside which is like the drill getting in mm, that's Switch, a great point switches it switches from like a forward offense to like oh let's let's see if we could kind of get them in from the inside and uh do do what she does best which is really just power through manipulation yeah it, that, i'm so glad that you brought up that point because it you know even though the threads are coming out for her she is such a good villain because she learns from her defeats and applies how she was defeated into her next step. And again, the gang beat the drill from the inside out, but she sees that and be like, okay, that's the game that they're going to play. That gives me insight into how we can take down Bossing Say, And just immediately... Or not just, and that was the thing. That was like the issue with Zhao was that Zhao, you know, and why he wouldn't be a sustainable villain because Zhao did not have the capacity to learn from his mistakes in a profound way, and what resulted in his defeat at the end of the first season. Yeah, mm. yeah. I'm just gonna point out is that is exactly what you're saying is that we talked about the idea that Zhao just does not learn. And that is the atypical version of a bad guy in several different series that I've ever seen for kids' shows, where it's like the bad guy just continuously does the same thing over and over and over again. Um, it has the same motive over and over and over again, but doesn't really intuitively think about what happened to them to get them to where they are now so that they can use that and what they've learned from their opponent to do something better. And... That's what differentiated, I feel like, this show from other shows is that it really, the villain learned. Yeah. And applied what she learned effectively. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, 
that's the scariest thing is when you have like that's what makes Terminator scary is the idea that essentially the machines can learn from just being around you once. Yeah. Like, that is what makes that scary. Like, <laughs> a learning opponent that uses it against you, that's absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. An opponent that thinks they're better than you and continuously does the same stupid stuff over and over again, eh. Yep. Like, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, Azula is the Terminator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Terminator Azula. Yes. <laughs> She'll be back. She'll be back. <laughs> so, you know, obviously we, we see her briefly in um, Appa's last days um, when she, I know, it's so painful. Uh, like, oh. You're just dumb, aren't you? I know. Um, and Suki is able to, like, fend off Azula enough time for Appa to get away. But, you know, it's just like, Azula and that confidence that she has. Don't you know that fans just make flames grow stronger? It's like, oh my god, no. <laughs> What's she gonna do? Yeah. Uh. So she uses that as kind of an end to uh, disguise her May and Tylee as Kyoshi warriors. Um, and that great reveal that we see at like in the i believe it is hold on i can't remember what episode that is i didn't write it down here uh wait you don't know what episode it is no book two avatar listeners at this point you need to go ahead and just just pause the recording take a moment (laughs) and reflect that Colin does not know the episode off the top of his head. <laughs> and that this has truly happened. Oh, yes. We'll wait. Don't so, worry. Go ahead. Take a moment. We'll wait. <laughs> so it was the Earth King uh, in that episode, which is the one just before the two season, uh, two episode book two finale. And at the very end of that, you know, we see that Azula and May and Tylee are dressed as the Kyoshi warriors using that as a way to get into the earth king uh earth king's trust and everything um and again she manipulates long fang and the dai li in this way that is just it is just so clever in the way that she does that long fang has been imprisoned and you know she sees this kind of power vacuum and she steps in and you know, she even says later that like the Tai Li, they have, you know, they're earthbenders, but they have the spirit of a firebender. And just tapping into that, knowing these people and knowing who these allies can be and using fear to take charge of them. And of course, that brings her to that point where, you know, Long Fang is coming in to double cross her. And that amazing line don't even flatter yourself. You were never even a player. Oh, that line. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's just, you know, it, and how humiliating that is for Long Fang as like, oh, and the line like leading up to that too. Just like this idea of, you know, you've scrounged your whole life to get to this point. But in like inherited power, this divine right to rule. And it's just like, it's that, again, it's that sense of self and that delusion that she is like this 
just godsend almost to like you know the world in her role as the princess of the fire nation and but she also knows how to make it work for her she turned the Dai Li against this man who the Dai Li had been faithful to for countless years and just how quickly she is able to turn that around on him it just shows how incredible of a player that she is and how effective her manipulation is yeah it's it's getting fr- more and more frightening. <laughs> like, yes. All right. So I have a question now. Since we're at this point, where we're talking about the idea that essentially her her ability just to manipulate, to run the game, to do everything. So I w- we'll ask everybody else to do this whole thing. But if, if Cersei and Asula were in the same world, <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Azula. Azula takes the throne. Hashtag Cersei still owns the throne. <laughs> Which one would rule Westeros? Well, that's what I'm saying. They, they, they're they both, again, you want to, this would be a great, by the way, Colin, great side episode to do if we could compare these. Um, <laughs> yes. For fans, for fans of both. But I, do, I did actually, uh, that was one of the intriguing things that I did see a lot of that character in both characters. I think, again, Azula has an edge because she's a firebender. I think that's what it comes down to. I don't know who would outsmart the other. They're both they're both so See, good. I like to think that the Red Wedding would not have been at the direction of Azula, but would have been Azula there just taking everybody out. Yeah. Like the reigns of Castamere would play. Azula would take everybody out, and she would then be like, oh, by the way... Lord Frey, your 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 pig is a little dry. You might want some extra wine with that. Like, yeah. <laughs> never missing a beat or something like along those lines. Like, oh, that was a lovely party. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But the same kind of fear. That's why Cersei is such a fear, uh, a frightening character is because she knows how to manipulate from the inside. Yeah. Exactly. It's 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 sort of that understanding where. It's like uh, she doesn't need to really lift a finger. She never does. That's why she's so scary. Um, Azula, while she is actually a warrior and can fight, she just proved that she doesn't actually need to really lift a finger. She can get other people to do her bidding. Yeah. What came first? Yeah. George R. R. Martin or Avatar? <laughs> <laughs> I think George R. R. Martin because those books came out like. Not even because he can't seem to write the book and get it done. <laughs> <laughs> Writing those in the '90s, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's. But it, again, it carries throughout any any fantasy, and you could you could do you could do Star Wars too. It's that 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 concept of manipulation, the Emperor too in Star Wars. You don't have to lift a finger, really. You, you, you're letting them kind of just destroy themselves, and you're sitting back and watching. I was never terrified of the Emperor as much as I'm terrified of Azula. No, but it's it's that it's that yeah, it's that same sort of that 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 human that deep rooted fear of that kind of person. That no no kind of person scares me more. Somebody coming at me with a sword is scary, but it doesn't scare me as much as someone who is is either seemingly trustworthy and is completely manipulating from the inside, and you don't know what's right and what's wrong. Mm. Yeah. and a villain, and that is what Azula re- represents. And she, like I said, she's got both. She can, she can fend for herself. She can fight, but she, like, it's like we were discussing before. She does, doesn't have to lift a finger most of the time. She kind of uses their, her opponent's power against them, mm. and just like with Zuko, she makes them fall apart. Yeah, she's crazy. She needs to go down. 
No, she is real crazy, and she needs to go down. <laughs> that, is, that was one of the best lines ever. Oh, my gosh. So that, that brings us to the Crossroads of Destiny. Um, which I mean are like it's one of the most legendary episodes of this entire series I think and so much of that is because of Zuko's turnaround and the role that Azula plays in that and when she comes in and you know tells dangles this carrot in front of Zuko be like look you've been just barely surviving and you've been living as a refugee it's just like don't you like don't you want to you know go back home with the avatar we have this opportunity but i think it's also it is also azula recognizing that like zuko has gotten to this point and especially with iroh there that she even with the dai li can't take the avatar and the gang and Zuko and Iroh. And, you know, you think about it, it harkens back to the chase. She was surrounded and she had a way out, but now she knows that she has to do more. And learning from that previous encounter, she understands that the only way to kind of turn this around is to get Zuko on her side. That I didn't even think about that because she does end up doing that. I think she's and she's counting on Zuko to still that that part of Zuko to still want to be able to get redemption, and she'll use that, knowing that he won't. Hmm. You know, I I think that, um, and we're I know this is part of what we're talking about too, where it's just sort of like she's still manipulating him, like she, she to his his being recognized by I think her his father in in a way where he's redeemed. She doesn't actually believe that'll happen, and, and I don't think she really cares. She just cares about her sort of getting her props. She's protected no matter what. Yeah, you know, and that's that's again. She's always like 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 ten steps ahead of everybody else in that whole thing. She just kind of know. She just knows. Man, she she's like she. I I sit back and go, how long has she had this plan out for? Because she she's got to be quick on the as things keep changing, but like. You know, like she knew, I think she knew in those, in that, like I said, that in those moments towards that, towards the end there, it's just sort of like, well, like, how do I make this work for me and make it seem like I care about him? And uh, man, it's again, like it's, it's, it's frightening. Yeah. Cause we're like, well, like at the end of the episode, we're like, what? Cause we see that look on Iroh's face where he turns away and he just looks so upset. Mm happened and it's it's like devastating and we're like no mm. no <laughs> no way <laughs> um so yeah so casey has to hop off but thank you so much for your insight uh casey just yeah. really appreciate all of the points that you brought up of course always like you said she's a and we could literally have like like five episodes on like azula she's just such an amazing complex character so mm. yeah Awesome. I was thinking we could do a whole like series arc on Azula. Maybe like bring her back in a few more times, talk about some other points of her <laughs> sociopathic <laughs> nature of some sort. <laughs> and her disassociation with reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Oh, well thank you, Casey. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I can't I can't wait to hear the rest of it, guys. Thanks so much. See you, Casey. Bye. Bye.
guys. Thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of the Legend of Portal cast. Uh, hope you're enjoying our continued discussion on Azula here. Uh, just a few quick reminders um, and uh, some exciting things to uh, talk to you guys about. Uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Um, you can find us on all the social medias uh, where we're going to be posting content and stuff where we're going to be following up on episodes, discussions, uh, things just, you know, quotes and still frames, all that good stuff. Um, but the reason we wanted to reach out is that we are going to be doing an Instagram poll that is going to be asking you, uh, what kind of questions do you have for us? Because we really want to do a question and answer section for our next episode. So please be tuned on our Instagram for that. We're going to be doing a uh, Instagram story poll and then also a reminder post as well. Um, so be sure to check that out. Uh, stay tuned. And if you see it, uh, leave us a question because we really want to hear from you and we really want to just talk about some cool stuff that maybe we didn't think of. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks so much for listening in. Hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Bye, guys. So, you know, th- this moment in the Crossroads of Destiny um and the, the fight that happens in the caverns. I mean, it's like, this is where we really see Azula now coming to terms and fighting against like Aang and the gang at like their strongest at this point. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we have, especially that fight that she has against Katara. Katara is really stepping up and showing how formidable she is. I mean, when she she has her where she wants her multiple times throughout this fight, and it really, it wasn't until Zuko came in that, like, the tables got turned. And so much of what we see during this fight, again, it's bringing up that kind of the role of her hair. There's a moment where Katara just water bends this thin like just line of water and it cuts part of Azula's hair and she Mm -hmm. sees her reflection in the water as it's going by and we can clearly see she is getting like very a little bit disheveled from this and like you know she is turning on the jets and really going aggressive with her with her bending style and starting to see this unravel even a bit more I think you're hitting the nail on the head here is that, you know, we talked about this, that bossing say is really, or at least I brought it up is that the idea that bossing say is really the turning point of Azula's downfall. Had she maybe not considered trying to take bossing say, trying to do too much too soon, too fast, perhaps she wouldn't be in the same predicament she's in now where she's become so for lack of a better term, full of herself mm-hmm. that essentially she underestimates Katara's abilities because Katara is, in her mind, a peasant, like mm. lower than her statue. And how dare she think she can take on Azula, princess of the Fire Lord of the Fire Nation, you know, like this amazing goddess-like person. How dare she? Like, this is where you see Azula just start kind of starting to lose it a little because she's like, you know, like, it just baffles her that someone would dare do this Mm. and she's not scared of her or at least so that she can tell yeah absolutely that that makes her more angry because zuko she knows 
hates her, is angry, probably a little scared of her. But this Katara person isn't showing the same level of fear she showed before when she fought her. And that's what's getting irritating for her, I think. Like, wait, because you said it, Katara stepped up. Mm-hmm. And she stepped up in this episode. And for Zula, that's got to be irritating that she is not cowering in fear or trying to run away or trying to deflect just like they were in the last fight. Like, instead, here it's coming at her, almost has her where she wants her, cutting off her hair, getting so close to strike her. Like, yeah, that's that's got to be. Well, and it's the importance of like her turning Zuko over to her side because Azula uses that opportunity for Azula to fight Katara and her to fight Aang. And frankly, like Aang is just not like he's not in a position to be able to go toe to toe with Azula. I don't think he really Mm -hmm. ever is over the course of the entire series until he really kind of gets into the avatar state towards the end. But the thing is, is that like Aang gets like the crap beat out of him in this fight in Crossroads of Destiny by Azula. Not crap beat out of him, Colin. He literally gets dead. Yes. Like, you want to talk about getting dead? That that's pretty much where he goes. He gets dead. Yeah. And, as my daughter says. <laughs> and you know, it's this idea that she understands like which fight that she can win, and just how as Aang is doing this, like he manages to you know tap into the Avatar state, while the Dai Li and Zuko are all looking on in awe. Azula's not concerning herself with that. She is no she knows exactly where she needs to be, what she needs to do. And while everyone's in this moment of awe, she comes in with the lightning. And she's like, she's like, why are you all staring up at him? This is the perfect time to hit him. Yeah, right? I mean, it is that kind of feeling of like in so many of these shows when like someone's either doing the transformation sequence or doing something like that. Everyone's just like, oh my god. Like in shows where like She-Ra and things like that, where they're like, "Pull the power of Grayskull," and they like start powering up. Like, so what does this go? Now would be the perfect time to shoot them. Shoot them! (laughs) Right. What are you waiting for? An invitation? (laughs) Because you ain't getting one. Yeah, exactly. It's Uh. it's incredible, and you're right. I don't think Aang really is ever set up to go toe to toe with her, but like the characters around him become able to start thinking that way and i think it's part of the airbending nature is while they are flexible yes and they do learn all that i think you know the other part of that is inherently believing your enemy is evil or bad is just not a part of that culture like mm. you know he's really about the forgiveness whereas Azul, Az- katara and them can willingly accept no she'd be crazy we need to get down with her yeah it, it, yeah it's this idea that he like you know it, it it all boils down to where hang ends up in his journey he can't take that final strike against ozai like when he like you know when they're doing like the practice run like he can't do that finishing blow Aww. because he it, but that's the type of thing that is like needed to defeat someone like Azula and someone like Ozai until he finds this other way. And at this point in his like avatar journey, he's not ready for that. He doesn't, he's not ready to do spirit bending or anything like that. He is, 
he is just still learning, you know, understanding his earth bending, and he's, you know, pretty good at water bending and his air bending, but like, he's not learning things and utilizing his bending every time as something that's necessarily offensive. He does when it calls for it, but again, so much of his airbending philosophy is avoid and evade, and he is the way that he goes to take on Azula, I think is so telling of this in this moment. Azula turns on the turbo jets with their firebending to go careening towards him. And he brings a bunch of crystals around him and uses that as armor. That's the thing. You can't meet Azula with armor Mm -hmm. because whether it's through her sheer force and power or her precision, she is going to find a way to, break through that and get underneath it. Yeah, no, and and again, it's it goes back to the whole thing of, you know, you start to wonder in this episode too, and looking back the second time or third time or however many times I've watched this episode now, like now, going back years and years later and really sitting down with the series in a different mindset and taking in what's going on, you start wondering, like, if this is really when Aang realizes that he may not be able to kill the Fire Lord. Mm. Like he has somebody who inherently is trying to kill him in his face, and he cannot even just knock her out. So he can go in the other sea. He just literally doesn't even try to hit her. Mm. Like he, he again, like you said, avoid and evade. Like that's what he go- defaults to. And here you have literally what is considered, I guess you could consider almost a practice. Because, like, before Zuko was just trying to capture him. He wasn't trying to kill him. Yeah. Like, you have someone who's literally going toe-to-toe with you to kill you. Mm. This is literally a practice for Ozai. And he's like, I, I can't do it. But, like, this is when you should, I guess you start, maybe Aang even starts questioning himself. Like, can I really take out the Fire Lord if I couldn't actively do that to someone who's actively trying to kill me mm. and who literally did yeah well and i i love i love the point that in this fight too that there was always that was part of like the big what if discussion because the gap between season two and season three was the legendary hiatus where we had no idea if there was going to be a season three and like we just had we just had the first two seasons to base all of our discussion on and all of our theorizing. And I remember on the forum, like so many people would kind of say like, okay, what would happen in this fight if Toph was there and how differently would that pan out? Well, she would have easily looked over at Zuko, but like she'd be lying. I think maybe. (laughs) Well, I mean, not even necessarily from a convincing standpoint, but I think just from a combat standpoint in that, like, you know, Toph, would be able to add this like this layer of the combat that I think Azula would not be able to handle. And that was the thing. When we see in Day of Black Sun, and we'll 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 be able to get to this kind of in the next discussion, is that you know, when Toph and Sokka and Aang confront or is it who is it in Day of Black Sun they all go together? Is it I'm trying to remember. Um, it's in Day the, of Black it's, Sun. It's in the basement. I think it's Aang. It's like it's, it's Aang, Zuko. No, it's Aang, Sokka, and Toph. Yes. So because it's the Tara is up with her father, 
And yeah. So it's Aang, Sokka, and Toph that go down there. Yeah, so it's this idea that like if Toph was there, and I think the combination of Toph and Katara, I think is the only thing that would truly be able to defeat Azula, but we didn't get that. And that's the thing that it's not a sense of like, oh, why didn't we get that? But it's more of like, it's what makes this battle so great and feel like it could tip in either one's favor at any point because of like how balanced it is. But then as soon as Azula brings in the Daili and shoots Aang with lightning, we know it's game over. And I want to kind of just close out this part of uh, part two here, just talking about Azula's victory and her kind of sitting in the spoils of conquering the city that none of her ancestors were able to do Mm -hmm. and what that does for her ego and for these kind of delusions that she has about herself. I mean, when she does do it, she completes it. It's like she then puts herself on the throne of bossing set. And I think it, it's even so that to to have visions of grandeur and actually go for them and fail is one thing because then you become resentful, you blame everybody else, depending on the personality. And in this case, you have somebody who already thinks very highly of themselves, is a perfectionist, is obviously in some form or another um, pressured as you said, from her family. And, you know, oftentimes more not on, on the ledge of just right before she's, a, she's gone too far and not far enough. And in this case, I think winning at Boston say, defeating the Avatar, having the plan that she wants to fall into place the way, you know, it may not have been the initial way she considered it, but it, it still happened. Um, is worse than anything that could ever have been thought of for mm-hmm. Azula's character. Like, this is literally something that, while Azula thinks is great, it is probably the most detrimental thing that can occur because you basically have now fed into that a grandeur nature that she's now starting to think, well, I need to, I can be at my father's side. I can be the Fire Lord. Mm-hmm. I can do this. I don't need any friends to help me that I've gotten you this far. Who needs X, Y, Z? Like, it's, it just builds itself. And it does not lend well to somebody who, once you're in power, it's harder to stay in power. Mm. Absolutely. Um, Especially when, yeah, like, this is just, it's where the series needed to be when it needed to be there. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, just thinking about her arc as a character over the course of this season, she starts in this very cumbersome royal procession and is going out into the world really for the first time in this way. And she goes from having this kind of pomp and circumstance to her presence to a small elite team. And working again with the Fire Nation with the drill and realizing that like kind of these bigger moments are not where her specialty lies. It's not where she can utilize her skills the most. And by reinforcing that the way that she does things 
is the way that she gets those goals done is feeding into this perception of herself in such a powerful way because it was her call to manipulate the Dai Li and her call to disguise as Kyoshi warriors. And it was her call to get Zuko to turn. And she is just relishing in this moment and feeding that to Zuko that, well, now you'll be able to go home. And yes, she won, but she's still thinking about the next steps because if she could conquer Ba Sing Se, something that no one else in her family has done before, she's thinking about a a bunch of different stuff that she's going to be able to do because for her, the sky is the limit now. And she didn't, I don't think, realize kind of the cost that came at spreading herself so thin and... I think, again, it's lending towards where her downfall is getting into season three because she thinks she can kind of split off on these fronts and she thinks that she can do these things herself because, frankly, the whole thing in the cave, May and Ty Lee aren't by her side. That is all her. And yes, May and Ty Lee help to kind of get in and like do certain things, but like we see more and more just of these solo scenes with Azula and it is building this perception that she she is the mastermind behind it all and that more so than ever the people around her they're all weapons for her to use they are extensions of her and whatever is there at her base level is still really really strong and these just help make things sharper but in the end she doesn't think that they're truly needed so any any final thoughts uh, just on Azula's trajectory uh, in book two here to kind of round out the discussion? The fall of the perfectionist? Mm. Like, you know, you're, you've got this amazing villain who is scary, intriguing, is interesting, is manipulative, is cunning, is strategic to, you know, the beginning of season three and you just start to wonder, like, what happens to someone like that. This other part of the thing is that this is this is probably one of the best transitionary episodes too um, to call to end the arc because it's almost as if all hope might all all you know hope may be lost because essentially the bad guys just won. Mm. Like they took a city that generations that had come before her had not been able to take. You know the Avatar is possibly dead because yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 Zuko just turned on Iroh the only person who actually cared about him legitly cared and frankly one of the biggest threats to her that she recognized exactly mm-hmm. like she just got rid of one of her biggest threats like <laughs> yeah like you you sit there and you go it's kind of like um I, I try to find something to liken it to the just amount of like did that just happenness to it. Um, I, I think but, going back to what we were saying earlier, I think it's like it's the moment in Game of Thrones when Cersei like destroys the Sept. That's it. When the Citadel goes down, and you're just like, did, did that just happen? Yeah, and it's this idea of like her being at the right place at the right time and manipulating things and just like getting all of that done in one fell swoop 
And I think that's what's, you know, really reminiscent of that. Um, so with that, uh, we're going to close out uh, part two of our discussion on Azula. Uh, we will still have more parts to come. Um, but I uh, just want to thank, uh, first off, Casey for uh, joining us here today. Uh, she had to dip out a little bit earlier. Um, and uh, of course, Susan, thank you so much for all of your insight tonight. No worries. And again, hashtag, when we take a robosting say, say we dress as Kiyoshi. Yes. <laughs> if, uh, my God, if we can't get a Mean Girls reference in here, I, I'm a little sad and I hadn't found a way to get a, a <laughs> Die Hard reference in here tonight for everybody. But um, I'm sure, you know, next time we talk about Azula, uh, you know, I guess, I guess it's not really, you know, the end of a season unless I've seen Azula throw you know, Lon Fang off of the Nakamatori Tower, you know, that's it. <laughs> something along those lines. We'll figure out something. Uh, uh yes. But yeah, I mean, you know, this is this is a character I have forever been wanting to do a, a just a, a arc of series of episodes on just because she is just so complex. She's such a rich character in terms of just you know the story, the the background, and just and everything that goes into it—the writing of this character, the um, the portrayal of the character—not only in uh, the art, but in the voice and the acting—and just it all together just makes this character so amazing to this series that needed a just this is a character that this series needed to be a villain. Yes, absolutely. Uh, like. <laughs> when you think about the villains, like you have your Ozai villain, who's just like this villain. Who's literally a villain. Like there is nothing else about that. It is, it is the um, quintessential villain, the villain that essentially kills his, wants to kill his brother to become king, you know, um, it's like kills his mother. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's just, and he does. And and he's like a dictator. He wants to hear the world. Okay. That's cool. We've seen that before. And then like, you have Long Fang, who is the villain who really is just the, the comedic villain, if you will, because he doesn't seem to learn from his mistakes, or, nor to think about them before making them. And then and then you have Azula, who's just like, I swear to God, it's like a Terminator. Like you're, 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 you're truly terrified of who she is, what she is, but you're more just engrossed in learning more about her like you can find yourself wanting to watch the azula episodes way more yeah um and you get sad when they try to bring in like you know sparky sparky boom man you're like okay that's cool where's azula yeah <laughs> she doing? definitely oh she's at a beach she's doing there she gonna she gonna burn something down <laughs> all right like that's that's the kind of that's the kind of thing I'm in for. Let's go. Yeah. Oh, there's Lee and Lowe. Oh, I did not need to see that. Oh, she sees a guy. Maybe she's and then you know, the, the volleyball scene. I mean, like you just you have these great moments with with her as a character. And you just go, that exists in a cartoon. That is damn amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like nothing. Cartoons, you know, come and go, and characters you get villains sometimes like. You get those iconic characters, you get those iconic villains like the Joker, um, who is the antithesis of the, the protagonist. But in this case, I mean, you have someone who is not only the antithesis, because Aang really is so free-flowing that he is not about precision. He is not about, 
you know, everything having to be exactly accurate. He is someone who can be flexible. If the plan doesn't go according to plan, he doesn't flip out. He, you know, modifies, moves, regresses. Like, Azul, on the other hand, is just not that person. Mm. And you see it later as things just start unraveling for her and her little world that she's built up. And it is amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I kudos for this character and thank you for allowing us to just kind of do some episodes on her because I have been, you know, I, I think ever since the beach, I've been like literally campaigning for a Azula <laughs> series. Yes. So. So yeah, so uh, folks, stay tuned because uh, we're definitely going to be getting uh, the next part talking about uh, Azula in uh, season three, and then also Azula in the comics and uh, how that additional story that we get about her just really fleshes out her character even more. Um, so remember, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast, Twitter at Portalcast Pod, and visit our website at legendofportalcast.com. And where you can find a way to subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify. And if you're there, leave us a review. Or else Azula's going to come get you. Not really, though. But, you know, she will. <laughs> Princess of the Fire Nation, come and burn down your Spotify for not leaving a review. <laughs> We've covered that. This playlist will quiver in shame and humiliation. <laughs> and never arise in the ashes of its defeat. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, remember, uh, check us out there and uh, stay tuned for the next part. Uh, thank you all again so much for your support. And uh, until next time. Let us leave. <laughs>